if there is a prize for um, getting the Lord's Prayer done first, <laughs> we have some who are definitely competing for that prize. Uh, they're so precious. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. My name is Brent. You've probably forgotten that. Uh, we have, Tanya and I have been uh, gallivanting a little bit around the planet, and uh, due to that and illness, we haven't been able to be with you. Now, I know for some of you, especially those of you who may be a little ADHD or OCD, you're probably freaking out right now, and it's okay that I'm not center stage, okay? Uh, just so you understand why, some of the decorations that are hanging from... Uh, the rafters uh, that Timber Creek has put up are right in line of our camera view. And so that's why I'm, I haven't started leaning left. I just want you to know that, all right? I still lean right, but uh, this is purely for uh, the sake of the camera. Anyway, it is great to be back with you, uh, sharing again for a season from, with you from the pulpit. Um, as they say in Israel, Bizrat Hashem, with the Lord's help, uh, I will be able to be sharing with you from now, probably through the end of February, at least uh, through the end of January, with one uh, Saturday we're going to have to miss due to a family uh, wedding. Uh, but other than that, uh, we're going to be sharing together. Uh, the next couple weeks, we're going to be doing just a two-part series that I'm calling the Perusia Principle. I'll explain that a little bit later. And then December 9th, we're going to start into a study of the book of Hebrews, and I can't wait. There are two great treaties in the New Covenant Scriptures, the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews, and they are both mind-boggling amazing, and so I am looking forward to uh, diving into those with you and mining the depths of what the Lord has for us, and I'm going to need my phone, honey, because, is my Bible over there? Because I told myself to bring my Bible and apparently I didn't. So I'm going to need this. So for the last, the last time we were together, we were going through a series looking at something that is just really an amazing section of a letter that Paul wrote to the believers in the city of Philippi. Remember, Philippi was the first city in Europe that uh, the gospel went to when Paul crossed the Aegean Sea and went to uh, Macedonia. This is basically where Tanya and I have been leading our first Greece tour. That's where we started. And I want to read what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself uh, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
This passage is of extreme importance because Paul does something that quite honestly, I'm 60 years old, uh, I'll be 61 in January, Bisrat Hashem, and uh, Lord willing, and I was 60 years old before I really understood the significance of what Paul was doing in this passage that I just read. You see, he uses the deity of Jesus that Yeshua was in fact God in the flesh. He didn't just come and appear as a man. He was God manifest in the flesh. And he, he uses that relationship and shows us how understanding how Jesus related to the Father as well as how he related to himself as as God is actually the model for how you and I relate to Jesus as disciples. That the whole model, you know, we're always talking and arguing about, you know, models of discipleship and what is it. Well, Paul says the model for discipleship, if you want to know what it means to be a disciple, look at the relationship between the father and the son. And this is what's so amazing and so mind-boggling is because he takes this topic that so many in the body of Christ have argued about for centuries. Is Jesus God? Is he, is he, did he just appear to be God? Remember the earliest Gnostic heresy said that, that Jesus only appeared to be a man. I mean, the Gnostics couldn't handle Jesus being man. The Jewish people couldn't handle Jesus being God. I mean, we've been arguing, we've, we find so many different directions to deal with this. And yet Paul takes that subject out of the arena, the, the battle arena of believers just arguing about that subject. And said, let me show you how immediately applicational it is to your life. If you want to live the way he lived, you're going to have the same attitude. You're going to have to have the same relationship with me that I have with my father. That's your walk. That's your map. Now, to me, that's mind-boggling, and I can't believe I was 60 years old before I ever really saw that. In doing so, Paul not only validates the doctrine of the deity of Jesus, he elevates it to an essential understanding if we're ever going to have the fullest relationship with Jesus and the father It has to look like that relationship he had and has with the Father himself. This powerful and poetic section of Paul's letter ends in verses 9 through 11 with these words. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and under the earth on earth and under the earth that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And that's really the section I probably should be talking about today. However, when we come to, in a couple weeks, to begin our series on the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about the very same topic about the exalted name of the Messiah. And so I'm going to postpone till we come there and we'll kind of loop back and bring this section of the passage into that. Now, I want to do something which is really weird right now, because obviously I'm trying to bring you into the topic of our message, but I need to pause to make an announcement. And I want you to know there was a time when I would really have hated to do what I'm about to do, but I don't, it doesn't bother me at all anymore. 
I remember when I was a preacher in Indiana, I had a, we had a guest preacher, and he was kind of a well-known guy and had a lot of product. And I asked him, I said, please don't hawk your product in the middle of your sermon. I will, trust me, we, I will make everybody aware of it. He goes, oh, no, no, I, I, I would never do that. And for the rest of the sermon, he would say, and this point reminds me of this book, or it reminds me of this tape. And he literally stood there and hawked product. I didn't like that at all. Once we get into preaching the word, I want to preach the word. But I need to make an announcement that is relevant and significant to you as a believer and to us as a congregation. We have been very blessed to be in this facility for I don't know how long, but after the turn of the uh, year, first uh, Saturday in February, we are going to be transitioning and joining, uh, creating a relationship with the Westmore Community Church, and that is where we're going to begin having our uh, Shabbat gatherings as well as um, our Tuesday night uh, building blocks um, program that's going to be starting in December. Now, we've just passed Black Friday, and hopefully you are unscathed and unharmed. And this Monday is what? Cyber Monday, which is a little safer, you know, as long as you can tell yourself when to stop. But Tuesday, has bec- there's another day, and it's become Giving Tuesday. And it is a day when many ministries reach out and they ask their people to consider in this season of giving, uh, to consider giving a- an extra offering on behalf of a particular ministry. And we're going to ask you to do that. Uh, And Tuesday is the perfect day for that. I mean, how many of you hate Mondays? I I found a biblical reason for not liking Mondays. God never said it was good. But on Tuesday, twice, he said Tuesday was good. So I always expect way more on Tuesday than I do on Monday. So here's what we're asking. We have set a goal of $10,000 to be raised for HFF on Giving Tuesday, what I call the double blessing day. We're going to be sending out an email with a link for online giving, and we're going to ask those of you who, who are here on Shabbat, but also we want to make an appeal to those who have been joining us throughout the year online. This would be a really great time. We need your help. And here's why. As we transition to this new home, Any of you who have ever moved into a new apartment, a new home, you know there are new expenses. And there are things that we need, uh, that we have had here, that we won't have there, that we need to purchase. There are some some support staff, some part-time support staff, that we need to be in a position as a congregation to have this staff, especially as we're expanding. We're not just going to be a Saturday-only congregation anymore. Can everybody say amen? We're, we, that's not what we want. We don't want to just be a one morning a week body. We want a full body life with weekly Bible studies and opportunities for our youth and our adults. And so that takes an investment. And so we're going to ask you to participate in Giving Tuesday, that double blessing day, and you be watching for that email. We're looking forward to that move. And I remember a few weeks ago, uh, Chris Frankie uh, took me over, and um, I- I'm not going to lie, the, the, the new building's a mile from my house, so 
you know, very selfishly happy about that. But uh, Chris and I went to look at the facility. It's a brand new building, barely a couple years old. And as Pastor Glenn was taking Chris and I throughout the building, because it's so new, uh, they were showing us all of the, uh, they took us into this one room, really two rooms where they had all the high-tech sound equipment. And can we just say a big thank you to our people who are in the booths and the sound? Because honestly, without them, you know, without them, I'd be standing over here where I'm not supposed to be. And, I, you know, no one would be able to see me or hear me. Um, but there was a moment in that little, uh, what do you call it, uh, tour when we're standing there and they're telling me, and this, this subwoofer doo-woppy does this, that. and I looked at this pastor, I said, dude, you might as well be talking Chinese to me, because I don't know a thing you just said. All I heard was, it makes it sound good, right? And there, is there anybody else out there like, no, don't send me, don't send me to the tech box, you know, the sound booth. Uh-uh, not going to happen. We went out into the sanctuary, the auditorium, and we were talking about all the effort that had been made to make the room uh, acoustically workable. You see, in a couple months, and the thing that I appreciated about this was that that building was designed to be a place where serious thought had gone in to making it a place with the best possible acoustics. Because if a room is too dead, the sound just kind of goes off the stage and dies. It doesn't fill the room. I mean, I don't know all the technical stuff, but I know that you need good acoustics if you're going to gather people into one place so that it can be an effective hearing place. So that's where we're moving to. A place that has spent some time thinking about acoustics and how it matters in the design of that building. But I want to share with you this morning that acoustics matter in how God designed you and how God designed us. For are we not being built together as the building, as the body of Christ? And if it matters in a physical structure, then it matters in a spiritual structure. Acoustics are important. How important are the acoustics of our lives as disciples? And especially as we enter a season filled with holidays, we are, uh, are, we are prepared to hear, are we prepared to hear what the master wants to say to us? I mean, in this season of the year, starting from Thanksgiving to the first of the year, we are going to hear a lot of songs, a lot of sermons. We're going to see a lot of movies and stories. There's a lot to be heard. So how are your acoustics? Blessed are those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will you pray with me? Oh, Abba, Father, I come, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, asking you to make this place today a place of great acoustics. A place not where we hear just because of the volume 
of the amplification technology, but we hear because of the amplification of your spirit's voice in our hearts and our minds. Lord God, we come together today. Lord, let this not be just another moment where we listen to some guy prattle on from the stage, but Lord, that this would be a moment that our hearts would turn to you and that we would personally cry out, Lord God, speak to me this day. Help me to be a better listener to your voice. To that end, Lord, I commit this time to you for your glory only. In the name of Yeshua, I pray. Amen. Man, acoustics matter, uh, but man, they can get you in trouble. I was a senior uh, attending Cincinnati Bible College. God rest its soul. No longer exists. It's a little kind of a bitter thing in my life right now. But anyway... um, (laughs) And I loved my time at Cincinnati, but my senior, I think it was my senior, junior or senior year, I almost got myself booted out. And it was all because of acoustics. You see, I was one of the class, pres- I was a class president, some other officers and friends of mine. We decided that we wanted to bring in a Christian rock band called Whiteheart. How many of you remember Whiteheart? All right. Now, this was really in the days of Christian rock and roll, and uh, they were definitely a Christian rock band, and we wanted to bring them in. And then when we found out, we would be bringing them in for their first Cincinnati appearance. That just, our egos just went all over the place, all right? We were going to produce their first uh, concert. So our Bible college had built a building, and we had a gymatorium, you know, where you had this big gym, but it also served as your chapel and auditorium. And uh, Whiteheart had just uh, come out. They had just received some copies of their new album. I don't remember what it was, but uh, it was the first time they were actually going to be able to sell that album. And so they ended up getting to the school much earlier in the day than we anticipated. And because it was a gymnasium, they had, you know, physical education classes and things like that going on in the gym. And so I told them, they, they said, well, we need to do sound checks. And I said, well, you can't do sound checks during the day when classes are going on. They said, no, no, we won't do it. So we gave them the schedule. We told them, you basically have a four-minute window in between each class to do your sound check. And they were so cool about it. They said, sure, no problem. (laughs) What I didn't realize was that a sound check is basically like an audio earthquake. It's this loud, they they start, I can't even imitate it, I don't want to break your ears, but it's just this loud boom that they sound, and it goes through the building, and it bounces all over the place, and they have all this technology to measure the acoustics and see where the room is dead, where it's live. And again, might as well be talking Chinese or any other foreign language. I don't know what you're talking about, but I know that's what they do. So they started. I was on one end of the gym. I looked down to the other end of the gym. The door swung open, and our administrative dean one of the top guys just under the president, an older gentleman, comes sprinting across the gym floor, and honestly, I thought his head was going to explode. He was mad as a hornet and just was yelling at me all the way across the gymnasium, which when you're a student at a seminary, that is not what you want to see, all right? That is not going to bode well. 
So anyway, I'll spare you the details about that confrontation, but uh, he was not happy about how loud that was. Then later in the day, uh, one of my dear friends who was my preaching professor and my mentor, they literally had just a wall of speakers on both sides. And my preaching professor came in, he goes, great day. Look at that. Look, oh my gosh, look at all those speakers. And I said, I know, it stinks, doesn't it? He said, what do you mean? I said, they left some at home. <laughs> at which point he said, great day, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and <laughs> he sprinted out the door. My friends, acoustics matter. Even as disciples. In fact, as a disciple, our first priority is listening to the voice of the master. So sometimes we need to check our acoustics. And that is exactly what Paul says to the believers in Philippi immediately after the words that he has written to them about this amazing revelation, how the deity of Christ serves as our model of discipleship. He then asks them to check their acoustics. So today I want to introduce you to what I'm calling the Perusia Principle and ask you to do just that, to check your acoustics. So I want to read verses, just two more verses that Paul writes in Philippians. He says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not, not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his Good pleasure. Tanya and I have recently, as I said, returned from leading our first tour in Greece, which followed Paul's second missionary journey. And the context of this is very, very significant. Acts chapter 15, if you'll remember, is the council at Jerusalem where they're taking up the issue of do Gentile men have to be circumcised to have right standing with God? They all come to the conclusion, no, that they don't, uh, that just as Abraham was credited as faith, uh, Paul says, before he was circumcised, so Gentiles don't have to be circumcised to be saved or have right standing with God. And so Paul is motivated by this. He's looking forward to going back to uh, some of the churches where they had ministered on their first missionary journey in Asia Minor. But then there comes a time when he says, you know what, uh, there's I, I, a dispute arose between him and Barnabas. And so Barnabas went his way and Paul took Silas. And having gone to those churches towards the end of uh, chapter 16, because of a vision from God, they begin that he begins that first missionary journey where he leaves Asia Minor, crosses the Aegean, comes to the city of Philippi, the very letter we're studying, and this is the first place he lands and begins to share the gospel with people in what we would now know as Europe. And I want you to listen to exactly what happened in that moment. So putting out to sea from Troy, as we ran a straight course uh, to uh, Samothrace, not sure how to pronounce that, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, these are all port cities, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying this, in this city for some days. Now on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where there was supposing, 
where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled there. So apparently Philippi was not large enough to have a synagogue. So Paul made the assumption if there are believers here who, who know about the one true God, they'll, they'll find a place and a river is a perfect place to do that. And so they went over there and sure enough they found some women uh, assembled there. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, which is actually in Asia Minor, that's where she's from, but now she's living in Macedonia in Philippi. A seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, let me read that again, a worshiper of God was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged the saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia is a lot like Cornelius, whom we meet in Acts chapter 10. He is described as a God-fearer. What that means is he is a Gentile who already has come to know the knowledge of the one true God. He has abandoned idolatry, and he is serving the one true God, but he hasn't been circumcised. Lydia is described as one who is worshiping God. So she is obviously a God-fearing woman who has put her faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She's obviously a very successful woman because she's a seller of purple, which is a very expensive garment. But notice what it says about her in verse 14. She, it says that this worshiper of God was listening. Paul will later write, faith comes by, come on church, wake up. Faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. Lydia was a listener. And as such, God opened her heart to fully understand what she was hearing. Now, I want to tell you, I could stop and preach about prayer here, but I won't. But suffice to say that until we understand that prayer is not forcing God to listen to us and is actually about stilling our souls so that we can listen to him, we will never have the prayer life that we want. I'm going to say that again. As long as your prayer life is just God listening to you, you don't have a prayer life. Prayer isn't just about what we're making God listen to us. It's, it's no stilling our souls and listening to him. And sometimes he doesn't have to say anything. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes it is the stillness where we just stop all the yammering and start listening and finding our peace that even though nothing may be specifically said, and sometimes something may be said, but it's in that moment of listening that the Spirit can begin to remind us of what we have heard. Well, God, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, what am I? Peace be still. Prayer isn't about talking. It's about listening. And in this season, maybe it's time to check our acoustics. Are we listeners or are we talkers? Paul's letter to the believers now established in Philippi 
He says, just as you have obeyed. On a, this last tour, our tour guide was a man named Stavros. His name literally comes from the Greek word for the cross, the staros. And there was not a day that we did not hear these words at some point. It's a Greek word. And it means, have you ever seen my big fat Greek wedding? Well, someday you should go on our big fat Greek tours. And uh, if you're blessed to have a guy named Stavros, every day you will be informed, well, that's a Greek word. And then he'll tell you where your English word comes from the Greek word. He would then proceed to tell us the origins of the word and the words that we use. And this Greek word obeyed, it's a fun one. Hupakauo. Hupakauo. Everybody say that with me. Hupakauo. Come on, you can do it. Hupakauo. Come on, it's just fun to say. You know, my favorite Hebrew word is the number three, shalosh. No real spiritual reason, it's just fun to say. Shalosh. Hupakauo. Did you hear it? Akuo. Acoustics. The word that we're translating, most of our translations translate when Paul is saying, just as you have obeyed, is actually a word that is built on the word from which we get our word acoustics. And it's really interesting because it's a very great Greek way to say a very Hebrew thing. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We call this the watchword of Israel's faith. And it begins with this word, hear or listen. Can I give you just a sidebar? Did you notice that the Shema points us to the oneness of God that Paul has been writing about in the relationship of the Father and Son? Echad is a unified one. Do you realize that when God told Israel to listen, he told them to listen to something about who he was? He was Echad. He was one. And Paul is saying, are you listening? That's the model for your life. Back to the point. Paul is reminding the Philippian believers of how they obeyed because of what they'd heard. A better translation than obeyed, or at least one that would maybe include the concept of hearing, would be the word hearken. But that's not a word we use very much. You know, most of you don't say to your children, hearken unto my voice. Kids are like, hearken? What's a hearken? But we do hear it in this season of the year. Hark, the herald angels sing. You see, the word hearken has the idea of listening, but listening for the purpose of obeying, and that's what Paul is saying. They have done that. They have listened, they have hearkened to what he said, taught them about the gospel, and they have obeyed. Paul is saying, remember how you listened. You see, Paul defined his ministry at the beginning of Gentiles, or the beginning of Romans to the Gentiles, was to bring them to the obedience of faith among the nations. 
But later in that same book, we're going to hear him declare, faith comes by hearkening, hearing the voice of God. And so he's teaching the nations, Shema, listen to what God is telling you. Discipleship is a life of listening to the voice of God. And that is exactly how Paul describes his relationship with the Father in Philippians 2. And it's exactly how Jesus describes his relationship with the Father throughout the Gospel of John, where over and over again he says, I only do what I hear, I only say what I hear the Father saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's discipleship. Sometimes we need to check our acoustics. But there's a specific context in which Paul says we need to be mindful of checking our acoustics. And this brings us to the principle, the parousia principle, verse 12. Just as you have always obeyed, hearkened, not as in my presence or not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Paul says the real test of obedience, the real test of listening, isn't measured by what you did when I was with you, but what you did when I was away from you. Check your acoustics. What you do this week is not, how do I say this? I don't want to demean what you're hearing or devalue what you're hearing today. But if what I say to you today about hearing and listening to the voice of God and the word of God doesn't inspire you to go out and spend Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, etc., listening to the voice of God, this is not just the time. It's not what you do when you're here. It's what you do out there. Paul says it's not just what you do when the preacher, when you're around the preacher, it's what you do when the preacher moves on. Jesus said, it's better for me to leave so I can send the Holy Spirit. Paul says the real test of obedience, listening, isn't measured by what you did when I was with you. But are you still listening after I've left? Now, there, there are many reasons why people stop listening. I'm not, that's not really my point today. I mean, we, you know, Genesis 3, we start listening to others. First question out of God's mouth in dialogue with men was, where are you? That's, that's discouraging. Sometimes we stop believing he still speaks or that his word is still relevant to our lives. Sometimes we stop believing he still speaks because when we do settle ourselves and still ourselves, we're just waiting for him to say something. And he's just waiting to remind you of what he's already said. I heard a thing at a missions conference the other day. I'm thinking about this offering. Uh, I really liked it. You know, this guy said, stop asking God to give you what he, what's already in your pocket. That kind of hurt. Stop asking God to speak if you're not going to be willing to listen to what he's already said. 
Maybe your prayer time isn't so much about telling God what you need as reading the Psalms, reminding yourself of what he's already given you. Because I promise you that will give you the faith to pray according to his will for what you need. Amen? Jesus is the reason this season's a good time to check your acoustics. Are you listening to the Son the way the Son listened to the Father? Paul asked, are you obeying the same way you did when I was present? When I was a student at Cincinnati Bible College, I had two years of Greek, and I believe it was the second year, we had to do a paper on one Greek word. And I believe it was assigned to us by our professor. And Professor Frisney assigned me the word parousia. And we were to take that Greek word and we were to go find every place that it was used in the Greek New Testament and then we were to write a paper on its meaning. And I've got to tell you, I was shocked when I started studying this word. Now, providentially, I thought I think it was really cool because I'm all about the second coming of Jesus, and I believe that my uh, traveling ministry, Maranatha Evangelistic Ministries, when we're out and about doing other things from here, is about preparing people for the return of Christ, you know, teaching uh, Bible prophecy, teaching biblical context, teaching all about what it means for the parousia of Christ to happen. But this is the same word that Paul just used in verse 12. And it has nothing to do with someone's coming. Just as you have obeyed, not as in my presence. You see, the Greek word, it's a Greek word. I'm, I'm remembering the days of my childhood with my dad talking Greek from the pulpit. Father, forgive me. Um, it's a Greek word, and it means presence. But listen to how we translate it in 1 Thessalonians 4.15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. This word parousia is the word that you and I know as the second coming, but its actual meaning is the presence. And in verse in Thessalonians, it's a noun, not a verb, meaning it's describing an event, a happening, namely what his presence on earth will mean when he comes. It can be, tra it can be translated as presence, arrival, or advent. But it speaks of the presence, the actually being present. In fact, this is how Peter uses it in his letter when he is describing how he was with Jesus when they were present with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's not talking about at the coming of us, but the, when, we were there, when we were with him. That's what the word means. And notice what he says as he writes in Greek and uses a Hebraic expression to emphasize his point. But now, much more in my absence. Hebrew writers often use what's called a kalvachomer, which is, trans, is often translated how much more. It's a how much more statement. The point is, if you understand how important this is, how much more should you understand what 
this. And so he says, if you understood how important it was to hearken and obey the word I was teaching you when I was present, how much more important is it for you to do so when I am absent? He's using a Greek word and using a Hebraic method of teaching. I love God's word. The Advent season. Now I want to tell you something. Advent is not a word I grew up using. The Advent season celebrates the presence of Christ. And folks, it did not begin in Bethlehem. It began in Nazareth with the Holy Spirit overshadowing Miriam, Mary, and she conceived a son in her womb. The incarnation began when the word of God was placed as a seed of life within Mary to bring forth Yeshua. So this is a great time to check our acoustics. Are we listening and how are we listening? Stavros, our guide, really messed me up with my pronunciation. Along with some of the biblical sites, we also went to, and I literally have to slow down so I can say it correctly, monasteries. Everybody say monasteries. You just mispronounced it. Because the Greek way to say this is monastery. And it's way more fun than monastery. So every time he talked about a monastery, one day I was talking to the group near the end of the trip, and I was just referencing having gone, I forgot how to say monastery. When we went to the monastery, <laughs> and everybody started cracking up, and I literally couldn't remember how to say it, the way I'd always grew up saying it. It comes from a word that literally means a place to live alone. My friends, we were never called to live in a place alone. We were called to be the body of Christ. It's a matter of where you place the accent or the emphasis in a word. It's like if I pronounce the word emphasis as emphasis. Paul says a few things we can use to check our emphasis, if you will, as we listen. Verse 12. But much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The first emphasis I want to call your attention to is he says to work it out. Wait, but I thought our salvation was a free gift from God. It is, amen? But in John's gospel, the religious leaders ask, what is the work of God that he requires? And Yeshua answers, to believe in the one whom the Father has sent. To believe in the one the Father sent to be, come on, present among us. To believe in his presence and to remember everything he did and said and lived and taught because everything he said and did and lived and taught was the will of the Father. And we saw him live it out as he listened to the voice of the Father. And spoke what the Father spoke and did what he saw the Father doing. Jesus says that the way we work out our salvation is to listen and to hearken and to obey the word which was sent to be among us. Now, many believers of all flavors spend an enormous time 
listening to others instead of listening to Jesus. And it is, I, I got to tell you, it is so disheartening. Watching people post things because they chose to listen to a rabbi instead of the Messiah of God. Uh, recently saw one that was posted by a rabbi and, and the person couldn't find anything to dispute with, with the rabbi's teaching, so I thought I'd listen to it. And five, less than five minutes in, I'm like, that's not right. Wait a minute, that's not right. That's not accurate. But we stop listening to Jesus and we start listening to rabbis or you stop listening to Jesus and you start listening to me and you're in trouble. Because whatever I say, may it be God's will that what I say is pleasing and pleasant and true to his word. But if I ever misspeak, let it fall away like chaff. I'm going to give you a great theme for how to live your life. I learned it from my dad who passed away in October. It's how you eat fish. Eat the meat and leave the bones. I would drop the mic, but I'd get in trouble. Is it wrong to listen to preachers and teachers? and No. But working out salvation is the call of discipleship to become better listeners. And how do we become better listeners when we're listening to people who we already know are out to undermine who Jesus said he was? When there is a whole plethora of knowledgeable scholars, scholarly people out there that you can listen to, Monday is a Cyber Monday, and I want to give you one. You might want to write this down. Dr. Michael Brown is a Jewish believer in Messiah. He's written a five-set book called Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. Now, obviously, these are apologetic books that help us understand and are really designed to help someone who's going to be interacting with Jewish people and answering some of their objections. Let me tell you, I have found them to be a goldmine of just answering some fundamental, foundational, biblical questions. Why not go listen to him before you go to somebody who has already decided before they ever open the book Jesus can't possibly be who he said he was. So go online Monday. Dr. Michael Brown, answering Jewish objections. You want to buy something? Buy something that will help you listen to the voice of Jesus. Tis the season to check your acoustics and be more intentional about working out your salvation. The second emphasis I want to emphasize, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation, not mine. Thank you very much. Now do you know where I'm going? Sadly, tis the season for many people to judge everybody else's relationship and expressions of worship for the one who was conceived in Mary's womb. My friends, it's, it's the same. Christmas is pagan, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what is not pagan? The gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It is never, it doesn't suddenly become pagan on December 25th. It's not pagan on Sunday. It's not pagan on Monday. It's not pagan on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And it's not more holy on Saturday. It is the good news that transforms heart and changes the world. Amen? And it's never pagan to celebrate his presence. Unless you just want to climb up to your monastery and sit atop your holy hill judging everybody else. Can I give you just a little life hack? How many of you are on Facebook? You know, there's people that just suddenly, this, it's all they can post for a month, month and a half. Do you know that if they put a post there and you just X out that post, you'll suddenly get a menu of things you can do? Please hear this. I'm not telling you to unfriend them. I'm not even telling you to unfollow them. But did you know that you could snooze them for 30 days? Come on. You know, sometimes you just have to say, I'm tired of you showing up in my worship and my celebration with all your negativity. Click. That's all it takes. I'm not saying unfriend them, and I'm not even saying that they might not have good things to say. But if, my friends, oh, listen to this. And you know who they are. There, there are some people who are genuinely trying to say something, trying to get you to think about stuff, and I'm not opposed to that. But my friends, if you think that you are more righteous because you condemn people who have a Christmas tree while you're building a gallows to judge them on, Do I need to say it again? Don't pat yourself on the back because of the Christmas tree they may have in their living room while you're building a gallows to commit the idolatry of saying, move over, Jesus, I'll take this. I'll be the judge. Now, again, I'm not saying we can't have honest conversations about some of the historical backgrounds, but let me tell you something. I'll tell you what is pagan. Assuming the right to do God's job on his behalf. Telling him I'll be somebody else's judge. That doesn't mean you have to have a Christmas tree. But it definitely means you best not be building a gallows. All right, I'll move on. I just got a text. I'm just kind of curious. <laughs> Who it might be from. I won't check it right now. He says, another emphasis, with fear and trembling. Let me tell you what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean with insecurity and anxiety over your salvation. What it does mean is to recognize the amazing gift we were given because of the parousia of Christ, the, his presence then and now in my life, and to treat his presence in my life with the greatest of awe and reverence, never doing anything to turn people's eyes off of him and on to me. Fear that. But don't live in anxiety now, now I'm, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't espouse the verbiage of once saved, always saved. But I can tell you right now, I know that I know that I know that I know that I am born again. And just because I won't say it the way some, de some denomination says I have to say it, doesn't mean I believe in eternal insecurity. 
I believe absolutely in my security in Christ. But I want to treat that gift of salvation with the reverence and awe it deserves. Just as Jesus submitted to the will of the Father so that the Father's good pleasure would be fulfilled in him, so we must submit to the will of the Son because he has placed the Spirit of the Holy One within us to bring about God's good pleasure through us. You know, it's really interesting that uh, verse 13, for it is God, Paul reminds us, who has, is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. <laughs> his good pleasure. It's a Greek word. And it's the exact same word that the angels in Luke 2.14 announce. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Do you know what God's good pleasure is? When we hearken to his voice, when we focus on what he has said, when our obedience, like Paul says in Romans 1.5, isn't a legislated obedience, but it is an obedience, the obedience that comes from faith, from trusting God. And when that happens, the very good pleasure that those angels were announcing is what God wants to do in your life to fulfill his good purpose, to fulfill his good will, to fulfill his destiny for your salvation. That's the good pleasure of God. And Paul says, if we'll check our acoustics, speaking of which, worship team, you can come back. If we'll check our acoustics, if we'll make sure that we are living out the Perusia principle, that we are listening not less. Do uh, you remember that moment when you first got saved? Do you remember that moment when you first came to the knowledge of the Lord? Do you remember that, how passionate you were? We should be pressing in. We should be listening more now. Because remember when you're a sinner, you don't want to listen, do you? But once you, once you get saved, once you get filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, once you are born again, our passion is to tune everything else out but Him. To hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Friends, it tis the season to check our acoustics. What are you going to hear this month? Well, that's a Christmas hymn I can't sing along. Why not sing as loud as you can? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Or you can go to your monastery. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. He was present. 
We saw it. We beheld his glory, John writes, the glory of the one and only Father, filled with grace and truth. Well, I think he was born in the fall feast. Fine, then if you believe that, then you also have to believe he was conceived in December and the word of God became incarnate and life begins at conception. You weren't called to live in a monastery. You were called to live in a body of Christ. You were called not to isolate, but to integrate with one another, to commune with the body of Christ, and then to go forth from there to be an impact. And we're going to look at that in the next two verses next week. So sing loud, church. Worship intensely. Celebrate joyously. Doesn't matter if you think the 25th was the day. Who cares? Do you know who he is? Then celebrate. Check your acoustics. Make sure the stuff you're listening to this month isn't just stuff bouncing off the wall of everybody's opinion. Focus on his word. Still your soul. Hear the voice of the Spirit. I'm going to invite you to do that. Even as Lydia did that that day, the Bible says she was listening to the Lord, and the Lord opened her heart. Think about that as I invite you to stand and sing with the worship team.